Welcome to the Kindness Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Harrington, where each week I'll be interviewing game changers who are up to good things in the world, supporting us with health and wellness resources, and ultimately how to live your kindest life. Let's get started. Patrick Harrington. You're listening to the Kindness Collective Podcast. And I'm here with Davida Wright Galvin. Yes. <laughs> uh, one of our awesome teachers at Kindness Yoga here in Denver, Colorado. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, very excited about our conversation that we're going to have today. You've had um, a really interesting life. And I love um, the journey, as I've heard so far, that you've been on to arrive here teaching with us at Kindness Yoga. Um, Tell me, how long have you been practicing yoga for? Ooh, that's sketchy. I've been uh, teaching fitness more than 20 years, and I've dived in and out of yoga throughout that time, but never stuck with it. Like so many people who I try to convince to try yoga, it's too slow, or, you know, people only want to give so much time to their fitness, and they don't feel like they're getting you know, the bang for the, the, for the buck, so mm. to speak. So I finally was forced to slow down and I can say consistently, maybe just three or three to five years, but I've been teaching three years. Yeah, that's great. I know there's a, it's a funny thing inviting people to do yoga. Um, <laughs> what's the most common, um, reason that people don't come to yoga? What's their reason that they give you? I interpreted it I interpret it as they don't feel confident or they don't feel like they know how to do it. Mm-hmm. I guess the most common response is I'm not flexible or I'm not good at it, which right. is crazy, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. So what do you what what what's something that we that you say to people when they say, I'm not flexible, I can't do yoga? I tell them that's why you come to yoga. (laughs) And also, I have just fallen in love with yin yoga. And I feel like that's accessible to everyone. So most people have some kind of ailment or tightness or, you know, even if you just feel like your hamstrings are too tight, this is something you can come and work on in yin yoga. And I just try to sell it as it's relaxing and meditative and if that doesn't sound good to you because it's too slow then it's a deep stretch Mm. and your body's going to feel great and you won't realize how much tension you're holding right 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 where did you learn yin yoga during my training i was fortunate that uh, one of my teachers david michael scott was very Mm. much into yin so I think that my class was uh, fortunate in that we had a little extra yin mm-hmm. class as a, as a result of that. And the real reason I came to focus on yoga is because I developed some arthritis in my low back. Okay. And I found that the yin yoga really, really helped. And I sort of now I feel like it's my religion. I just want everyone to try yin <laughs> yoga. Yeah. I mean, if you can get past the second third one, I guess, just learning to be still. Holy cow. There's just so much joy to be found in your body. Yeah. Oh, amen. Shout out to DMS. If you're out there listening, (laughs) one of my favorite people for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And, and so arthritis, how did you, how did you know that you had arthritis in your lower back? I was, progressively uh, feeling more pain. I was really having a hard time getting out of the bed and Uh it went on for a long time. And I used to have a chiropractor who left town. So I really, I'll just say that I ended up at a new chiropractor who sent me to physical therapy and Mm -hmm. I was kind of grumpy about it because I thought I just need an adjustment. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do physical therapy, Mm -hmm. me, a fitness instructor, right? Right. But lo and behold, the physical therapy helped me so that I got out of bed. Mm. And 
I looked at these exercises that I was doing and, you know, you do the exercises when you're going to physical therapy because you're paying your money and spending your time. And that's when you start to see the results. Well, I knew when the physical therapy stopped and I started feeling better, I probably wouldn't do the exercises, but I said, Mm -hmm. these exercises look a lot like yoga. Mm. Let me try to get myself in there and, you know, make this a part of my schedule. And then there was a training that came up that was, uh, fit my schedule and that I could afford. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I did it. I just knew I needed to learn about yoga so that I could maintain my own health. And if I could go on about that, uh, again, the yoga helped. And then the yin yoga, I found more relief. I found my hips were very tight. And then I felt good in the beginning. And I had this one little nagging pain that still bothered me when I walked up the stairs. Mm -hmm. But after doing yin yoga, it went away. Wow. And so I felt like, I, I guess I'll just, this is my lifestyle now. I'll just have right. to make sure I do yoga a few times a week. Because if I started feeling bad, I would think, did I do yoga this week? Hmm. Probably not. But now I've been talking in my class uh, about this and my journey and realizing that now three years of doing yin yoga consistently and, and yoga in, ge- in general, I'm sure, is that I feel so much stronger. Yeah. I mean, I was having trouble sitting or standing for long periods of time. Wow. And now I went and volunteered at the Great American Beer Fest and (laughs) (laughs) had to stand for five hours. And I wasn't struggling like I was when I just attended it a couple of years ago. So Now, how much of that was the beer and how much was the beer? Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. Um, And I I asked about specifically the arthritis because I know that uh, for me and I think for, you know, the, the culture of people who sit... Mm. that there's a lot of aching low backs. And I, I think I'm curious about the, the diagnosis arthritis in your low back and how one might be able to differentiate between, well, I just, my low back hurts mm. and versus actually addressing it as arthritis. How, can you talk a little bit about how you came to know that it was arthritis versus just, you know, everybody else's low back pain? Well, I have to agree. I'm a little suspicious of calling it arthritis too, but that's the diagnosis they gave me after I finished the physical therapy Mm. and I was a lot better, but still had some discomfort. Yeah. They said, okay, well, look, we're going to send you for an MRI now. Mm. So I had an MRI. I didn't have any bulging discs, but they said one, you know, could be soon, but just basically, I think it was probably a fallback diagnosis, come to think of it, to just say, oh, you're just developing some arthritis and... Mm. I dated a chiropractor in my my 20s who actually predicted that I would have some arthritis because I have a bit of a sway bag. But I thought I had been doing a good job standing straight and working my core. But maybe I delayed it and eventually got here. Wow. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, It's funny how I wonder, you know, when people people have said things to me in the past, I remember I read this this birthday book, maybe you've seen this birthday book mm. where it's like, it's, it's, it's just, it's like thick as a phone book. Do you remember what phone books look like? Yeah, right. I still get them. I don't know why. I don't even know why I save them. Seriously. For <laughs> listeners out there that are millennials, <laughs> phone books used to come to your house. They were very thick. Google in a book. <laughs> right. You can Google it and they'll have pictures. Right. They won't be in black and white. Okay. Um, but the, the birthday book was one, and I, I remember I, with a lot of energy and excitement, I looked up, you know, July 19th, and um, this was when I was in college, and it said something about the people that were born on this day will struggle with their health hmm. and with immune system around their lungs, and I'll be darned if I didn't listen, and who knows? But since then, where I develop things when I get sick or whatever, I get stuff in my chest. Hmm. And um, so I wonder, uh, and I'm curious what you think um, from the person that you were dating. Maybe you had affinity for him. Maybe he was a, you know, a subject matter expert. Hmm. And somebody's, um, you know, what could be just a side comment do you think that paid, played any role? What, what are your thoughts on that, where, where you kind of get suggested something and then maybe we make it true? You make a good point. I definitely do believe in that, that we, we create 
what we are, we create our reality. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting as I never connected that. Mm. Yeah, right. <laughs> so maybe I did manifest it. It just made sense to me what he said. And I tried to stay strong, but still yeah. now I have back issues. <laughs> yeah, isn't it trippy? And yeah. um, there's, a, there's a body of work. Um, uh, don't quote me on this, but I think it's called You Can Heal Your Back or something like that. And it's a, um, it's a philosophy that basically puts um, your back health in your mindset. And that you can literally, and I, I know people who have healed themselves of back pain, simply by changing the way that they think about it. Hmm. And, um, and so the power of the mind to really influence the way that our bodies feel uh, is fascinating. It is. And so you started doing yoga because of uh, a back, we'll call it a uh, situation. Situation. <laughs> sounds a little more positive. It sounds better, right? <laughs> um, because of a back situation. What did you discover about yoga other than the physical side for yourself? Ah, oh, and this is what I talk about in my class, especially the ones I teach at the gym. And I found my way to yoga for physical reasons and am so pleasantly surprised and excited about the mind-body connection that I've made. I mean, I'm, I'm reading the yoga sutras now. I mean, you know, not the thick version, but... Right, right. Not the phone book version. Right, not the phone book version. But uh, yeah, right now, exactly what we were just talking about, I've been exploring a lot about you know, manifesting your reality with your thoughts. And I'm really learning to observe myself and become a better person. Basically, I was talking in my yoga class this morning. I always use driving as an example and how I now realize I'm such a terrible person when I'm driving. (laughs) (laughs) I say things in my car to people that I would never say to your face. So isn't that interesting? So I don't know where that comes from, but it's getting better. Right. Yeah, I notice it instantly now, so I rarely um, curse. (laughs) I rarely curse. It's been declared. That's great. Yeah, right. It's your little pocket of safety where we get to be our bad old selves. Right, right. Now I do yoga in the car. It's so fun. Yeah, one of the practices that made a big difference for me around driving was uh, the headrest. And um, putting my head back in the headrest had my heart in front of my brain. Nice. And when my heart is out front, I drive differently. When I'm leaning forward and my forehead is in front of my chest, I'm more aggressive. Interesting. There's something about when I put my head back, it's more vulnerable feeling. It's more... It's more of me is out front where I think I'm willing to, I think I'm willing to lead with my, my brain, uh, or my forehead, my ego, you might say. Um, yeah. When I drive with my, when I drive in that posture, Mm. it's, you know, I'm like behind the wheel with my shoulders rolled forward and, and ready, (laughs) ready to make you wrong. Gripping, (laughs) gripping the steering wheel. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. I'll have to try that. Something else to observe now. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a it's a never ending list. Um, tell me about um, just a little side note. I'm curious. Tell me about your learning to drive. Who who taught you? What take yourself back there? And oh, how did I, that happen? I really don't have a lot to say about this. I was thinking about how I don't remember a lot about my, my experience because now my second child is learning how to drive and, and it reminded me about the first one about how you have to really <laughs> practice yoga in the car. Right. Breathing, deep breathing. Breathing deeply, calming your heart. And strength on the, exactly. on the handles. So I think my mother started to teach me maybe, but I had a boyfriend who was a few years older than me uh-huh. and he, he taught me how to drive. And then I was fortunate enough to have a, uh, uh, roommate my freshman year in college who had a stick shift. Oh, wow. And if she, you know, she wanted me to be able to borrow her car. So she yeah. <laughs> taught me how to drive a, a manual stick uh-huh. shift car. So that's cool. Yeah. But yeah. I don't remember any, you know, 
any aggression or, you know, so that's probably why it doesn't stick out in my head because good memories are soft, right? Yeah, that's right. The negative ones really continue to poke at you. Isn't that true? Why, why do you think that is? You're uncomfortable, right? Hmm. You're, you're the, the discomfort makes a greater impression on you. Mm Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I love it. Um, I love, uh, the pain of life. Mm. It's, um, you know, to, to unpack that a little bit, uh, I, I love the pain of loving life, you know, loving my daughters, um, loving Cameron and, um, you know, tonight they're going up to the mountains and I'll be here so I can teach tomorrow morning. And, um, there's a little bit of pain because I won't get to see them tonight. And that sweetness of hurting just a little bit for something that you care for, Mm. um, is so uh, potent. And I really, I, I, I think it's, it's my latest big teacher is that, that idea of really, um, hurting a little bit for the ones we love. And, uh, so yeah, I definitely agree with you that there's, um, I've, I've learned a lot from adversity. Um, and I don't want to say that I don't learn from comfort because I think I do, but maybe I learn just, uh, like appreciation. Um, how does, how does that perspective that you just mentioned about the, the, the challenging memories really sticking out and the, the good memories, um, maybe being more in the background, how does that, um, how does that play into parenting and, and, and being with your kids and just what the boundaries are and all that kind of thing? It's something to remember, I guess, especially if you have a child that's struggling. Mm. So my, my oldest, and it's too bad he was the oldest (laughs) Mm. because he was our first and he had some learning difficulties and I really regret in the beginning in trying to help him with his schoolwork, you know, his father and I would get so frustrated because his, one of his main issues, one of his main issues is reading, reading comprehension. And so he'll read something and just really not take anything about it, away from it. Mm-hmm. And if it's abstract, then it's more difficult for him. Mm-hmm. So maybe uh, middle school early on, I just remember we were always, um, we would get frustrated, you know, and mm. our temper would rise. And we just read that. What do you mean you can't answer that? And just really not understanding what it was like for him to struggle. Mm-hmm. So that made a bad impression on him mm. in that now he didn't really like it when right. his parents helped him with his schoolwork. Right. So later on, he would struggle on his own or in secret. And I I'm pretty sure it's because of negative feelings that he felt from our early intervention. Yeah, so, right. And, but the desire um, came out of uh, wanting to help. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I'm, I, I think of myself as the parent that it's safe to hit your head around. <laughs> you know, um, uh, Ama, that's their grandmother, um, she will be there to, you know, put the hand in front of the coffee table or whatever. Experience. Um, yeah. And Cameron a little bit less so. And me, if I see him heading towards the coffee table and not noticing it and they're not going at, at velocity, they get to hit their head because I, I, I just know that pain has taught me so much. Yes. Right. And it has me put my chin up and, you know, when I'm walking around, hopefully. And so, um, has there been any ways that you've, um, been able to give your children a wider birth in that way? Or where is there places do you feel like you've let them, let them experience the challenge of life? Um, and how, you know, how has that been for you? Oh, that's very difficult for me. My husband is very good at that. And, I try to just 
load them with knowledge and my own experiences and so much to the point that they don't want to hear, listen to me, right? (laughs) Mom's talking too much, but I try to just give them information and tell them how I felt when I was their age or when I was in this situation. And of course, I identify most with my daughter. And often I just have to remind myself, just shut up. She has to learn herself. Right. Yeah, right. It's, it can be challenging. I find that too. Um, how has, since you started practicing yoga, you were a parent first mm-hmm. and then you started practicing yoga. Can you talk a little bit about the, the yoga and how that has informed parenting or how parenting has informed yoga and yoga teaching? How do those, how do they play together? Well, as I just mentioned, I have learned to really observe myself mm. more. So I, I take a breath and I really try to understand my actions, why I'm doing it. Or if I get mad, you know, right, I get right. to ask myself why I'm mad or why I did that. And it, um, it's, there's a lot of growth in me. While uh, I observe this and parent at the same time, I'll tell you the third kid is having it way easier than the first <laughs> two. So, and I tell him the youngest is spoiled for a reason. I mean, either you're tired from right, the first right, two, right, right. but mostly you learn, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a resiliency um, mm. in children. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. We when we started off with our first, we said we're going to raise her like a second. That was our that was our intention and goal, and uh, but of course it was still our first. We didn't we didn't know. You don't know what you we don't know. know. Don't what you don't know, right? right. Isn't, I love that. I love that statement. You mm. don't you don't know what you don't know. Um, talk a little bit about meditation for you, and and if you have a meditation practice or how meditation. What what do you think of it? Just what your what goes on for you there around the word meditation? Well, I grew up as a Buddhist. Mm. And I've been chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So our form of meditation, meditation, I follow the teachings of Nichiren Daishonin, is chanting. So I have had my Buddhist practice go up and down throughout my life. Uh, I became more disciplined and dedicated to it several years back. My kids growing up, I realized again that Kids don't listen to you. Mm. They don't do what you say. They see what what you do, right? So Mm. I realized that if I want my children to be exposed to Buddhism or if I want them to learn Buddhism, I have to practice it. And so that's when I became more involved. There's a layman's organization, SGI USA. Mm -hmm. So I say all that to say now I'm um, fully practicing Uh, my Buddhist practice, and that includes chanting. So right now I am chanting about 30 minutes a day. Uh And so chanting is a different kind of meditation. I do quiet meditation, sometimes on my own, but mostly during my yin practice. Mm -hmm. And the yin practice and the yoga practice in general has really brought me closer to my Buddhist practice. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, and so Buddhism has a number of different sects. Is it sects? Is that what you call them? Yeah. Um, and so, what is what is your particular sect? What would you What would you say is a defining characteristic of of that group? Well, Buddhism spread from India to the east and uh, eventually made its way to Japan. Nichiren Daishonin was a uh, 13th century monk mm-hmm. who was the son of a fisherman. Mm-hmm. And he uh, set out to understand Buddhism, and he studied all of the sutras. And you know, he looked around and he said he didn't understand why the land wasn't more peaceful. Everybody was practicing Buddhism, but there wasn't any <laughs> right. peace. Wow! So he sought to figure it out. And um, after years of study, he uh, developed this teaching, this practice of chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, and it's the title to the Lotus Sutra, mm. which is what we consider the highest teaching. And it was uh, the last or one of the later teacher teachings of the, of the Buddha, Siddhartha uh, Shakyamuni Buddha. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nichiren Daishonin taught that by chanting the name of the sutra, 
we are withholding it, are beholding it and uh, dedicating our lives to it. And that this is the true teaching that the other teachings before then, a lot of Buddhist practice might focus more on that or some on that, is that these were provisional teachings to get the people to this level where they could understand the Lotus Sutra. And it was quite revolutionary in that it teaches that everybody has the ability to attain enlightenment, Mm. not just men, not just monks, Mm -hmm. women, everybody can uh, attain enlightenment. And Nichiren Daishonin taught chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo to a Gohonzon, which is a scroll and uh, represents your life in Mm. the 10 worlds. And that's your object of devotion, which is really a representation of you, your life in the 10 worlds that we go through. So basically you are summoning up your Buddha nature by focusing on the Gohonzon, citing the title to the Lotus Sutra. Wow. So it's pretty... Pretty complicated, yet so simple. Yeah, right. It is. It's um, Buddhism has always been attractive to me, and I find that um, my path. I grew up Catholic, and um, that didn't resonate with me as much, um, I think, as it did my parents. And um, I found myself uh, through college, kind of um, taking little bits of different beliefs and faiths and kind of reading a book on one and then taking little pieces out. And, um, and it feels like, uh, there's some benefit to that, but I, I really hear in what you're sharing, uh, the power of a deep dive into a specific philosophy. What do you, um, what are your thoughts on the way that kind of religion is today and the way that there's this sampling, uh, and a lot of people are kind of sampling different faiths and different ideas and coming up with kind of hybrids. Um, can you talk a little bit about the value of that deep dive that you have and that, that singular version that you focus on? I think you have to find what resonates with you, you know, what wakes up your spirituality, um, I think you really have to have an open mind. And while I study this teachings, I'm not arrogant to think that I know it all or this is the only way because it seems to me other people have reached enlightenment through other means. I mean, even Nichiren and Daishonin didn't have the Gohonzon to chant too. But, mm-hmm. you know, you find what teachings resonate with you so that you can follow them and, and dive into it. And many people then have gone on or changed their, their, um, you know, their philosophy. And like I said, yoga has brought me closer to my Buddhist practice. And I really appreciate the things that yoga teaches, you know, when you read the yoga sutras and, you know, learn a lot about the philosophy, it's very much in line with Buddhism. And then when I hear other things, you know, Christianity and other religions, it, all is teaching the same thing, which is for us to get along with each other mm-hmm. in this world. And I, I regret that there's so much dogma and that people are, are so defensive of what they believe in that they won't give room to other people or other thoughts and kind of see the similarities. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I haven't studied Jesus Christ in great detail, but from what I know, what he talks about is very similar to what the Buddha right. talks about and Muhammad and, mm-hmm. you know, all of the great sages. And can we just take it all in? And the point is, is we're only here on this earth for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's live it and enjoy it and not create problems for other people and get along and live in harmony. So I definitely agree. You know, read it all, know it all. If I had time, I'd like to study them all. Yeah. But maybe for some of us, focusing on one thing really um, helps you to bring out that Buddha nature, whatever you're, you know, trying to elevate your life to that higher level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. Um, and so you you grew up with Buddhism. And that was your mom, correct? And an older brother, if I recall? Younger, younger brother. A younger brother. Okay. Yeah, my mother was Catholic. Mm-hmm. And then about the time I was seven, mm-hmm. she uh, came upon this Buddhism mm. and started practicing it. So I was exposed to it. And 
started practicing it on my own somewhere around 10 or 12. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and what's your nationality? Where, where are your people from? I'm American, biracial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And do you know the origins of your parents? What countries they were from originally? And... Mm, well, my mother's family comes from Kansas and Mississippi. Ultimately, my mother is African-American and my father is Caucasian. And I don't know a lot about him, but I uh, understand he's of English descent. Okay, great. Can Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about um, how growing up biracial, um, how that shaped you, how that experience was? And, um, and I'd love to hear how that kind of plays into you as an adult today and, and looking at how diversity shows up in our yoga community. But let's, let's start with how it was growing up uh, as a biracial child. Oof, I guess I'll reveal my age <laughs> and say back then, I don't know, there wasn't too many of us and uh, people didn't... Where'd you grow up again? I grew up in Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Uh, right. From the time I was probably like six. Okay. And uh, I was asked a lot, a lot growing up, what are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. And um, I just people having, I think, opinions about it. I'll say the first time I realized that I was different, uh, I was probably about five or six years old and Mm -hmm. had been living in Vegas a short time. I had a friend who um, was just enamored with the color of my skin. And she was a white girl and always, oh, I love your skin and I would love to get a suntan. And she talked a lot about it. And, you know, I thought it was nice, whatever. I didn't Mm -hmm. pay much attention to it, but I think she must have said something to her mother because next day she came back and said, oh, I'm so glad I'm not black like you. You, your people used to be slaves. And I didn't know this before (laughs) then. This was like, what, what? (laughs) I had to go and ask my mom about this and what is she talking about? And that's when she sat me down and that was really my first realization of being black, I should say mm-hmm. that I don't think that was a biracial issue, but sure. as I got older, you know, people curious about my hair, it was a little different from the black people, different from the white people and, mm-hmm. and, uh, growing up in high school. And, and I have to always say, I always lived in predominantly white neighborhoods yeah. and I don't know why that is. My husband and I did that again. <laughs> we moved here right. and ended up in Centennial and we right. looked around and said, <laughs> how did we do this again? <laughs> We're the only black people. Yeah. But, uh, so growing up in a predominantly white school and all, most of my classmates are white. You're going to yeah. eventually like a boy, right? Mm-hmm. So I always had crushes on white boys and they were just too shy or whatever to kind of acknowledge me out in public. (laughs) And that was all the way through college too. So I don't know what to say about how it's affected me. I think it's probably made me build up a wall Mm -hmm. and, um, people in my neighborhood have said that I'm standoffish. Mm. And so I think that, um, I probably take a little while to warm up to people or let people inside to get to know me. I'm trying to change and soften a little bit because I don't want to put people off. Mm. But um, I think it's much better now. I just see so many biracial women and they're all over the ads and everything. And so it's kind of like the it thing to be. So isn't that nice? (laughs) It's it's so um, to me, it's it's an amazing thing to to hear uh, your little friend um, saying your people used to be slaves. Mm. Um, you know, I heard different things growing up. I think everybody did right? mm. of, of, you know, uh, one way or another didn't feel good or felt singled out in some way, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I think that for, uh, people who grew up in more ho- homogeneous colored environments, like I was mostly, um, uh, in places where I was a minority with uh, black students, Asian and Mexican. And so I understand from the perspective of being a minority in a very small way, hmm. 
but I think the, the rest of the time outside of school, I was mostly with like colored people. And I, I think that it's, uh, race and diversity is such a, um, a beautiful place for, um, learning compassion and getting to hear stories, um, especially as a parent hearing, a you know, my five or six year old daughter wondering, what did that girl mean? <laughs> what was she saying? You know, and just thinking about how to, um, share a five to six year old version of history and, um, without, without having it be something that necessarily, uh, you know, defines who, who she could be. Um, and so, uh, I know, um, you know, our studios are really, uh, have a stand around belonging and inclusivity and diversity. And th that really came out of, uh, the fact that we just don't have much diversity in the yoga community. Mm. And, um, and so it's been, it's been an interesting, really self-revealing experience to just enter the conversation of how can we as a community be more belo belonging, uh, inclusive, uh, more diverse. And so can you talk a little bit about um, being a woman of color, uh, teaching yoga in, and just, yeah, anything that you want to share about that? Well, I would love to be able to share yoga more with uh, black people, Latino people. I think the reason why there aren't more is because yoga is seen as um, an elite thing, an extracurricular type mm -hmm. thing. It can be expensive. Yeah. And um, I just think we need to expose people to it more, but at the same time, it costs time and mm -hmm. that's more valuable to people sometimes more than money is just having the time and making the effort to go and either be still for an hour or go through some movements and I do believe people need it though right. they really need it and you don't know what you don't know so right. once you get in there and experience it I mean even first on the physical level right. and holy cow if you feel bad physically mm -hmm. then you're not kind right. <laughs> I know I could think of times when I woke up and my back was hurting and probably I went down and growled at my kids yeah, sure. <laughs> so if that's the first thing you need to work on certainly when your body feels good you're in a better mood and you can be kind to people but oh my goodness it's so much deeper just to learn to sit with yourself mm. and I think a lot of us in the black community it's it's just hard I mean first your priority is to survive mm -hmm. and you're always moving hustling and when you get a chance to take a break you're not thinking about yoga which is something you probably think is exercise yeah right so i hope that i can find a way to get back to my community and bring some more people on board yeah right yeah thank you um i think in that sense you know some of the things that i heard that were universal is time um money um you know I think that I think that the, that there are some of those reasons that exist across the bandwidth of color. True. In terms of the way that they they think about it, um, what are what are ways that um, we might consider to bring the technology of yoga into those communities? How would how would one do that? Ooh, that's a good question to answer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess if to be on the spot, if I had to come up with an idea, some kind of event to have people come and experience it and try it out. Mm -hmm. The hard part is getting them in the door mm -hmm. and then getting them back a third time. I mm -hmm. think it takes a few times to really be hooked if it's something that is good for you. If, yeah. Oh my <laughs> right. goodness. You're right. You're right. It's like it's, celery. <laughs> you better eat it a few times. It's the same thing. You know, I teach Zumba and right. it's the same thing. Now, some people here dance and get excited. Other people are horrified by it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but you know, I, 
Zumba is a party. So yes, I just say, do you like dancing? Do you like having fun? It's for you. It's not an audition. You don't right. have to be in step. Not solid gold. Right, right. <laughs> and just come and have fun, open your mind. And that way we exposed a lot of people through Zumba, through big events and people just had fun and yeah, and you serve beer. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you serve beer, you'll have lots of people show up. I'm joking. <laughs> oh, of course, but not. Just kidding. Just not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Yeah, when you were talking, I thought about Juneteenth and, uh, you know, the Juneteenth celebration every year for African-American people. Um, I think that would be an awesome place to have a little outdoor um, demonstration for yoga and just exposing people on the block, you know, that would come and, and, uh, take a look. Um, what do you, what do you think when you hear, um, we are all one? What does that, what does that mean to you? Or how does that, how does that land? What do you agree? Do you, what do you think about that statement? We are all one. We're all in it together. We're all here on this earth together. We're all in this universe together. And I think we're more connected than we realize. Mm. Just our bodies are separated, but our energy is connected. We breathe the same air. And I really regret that I think people are forgetting that or they're falling away from that. But the more we remember that, it makes it easier to, you know, try to try to overcome this divide that we seem to have now. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have ways that you um, remember that, that, you, that you've set it up so that you can be accountable to that? Well, I have my Buddhist practice. Right. And when you are chanting every day, that's always bringing your mind back to what your intention is. Mm-hmm. So you can make an intention and write it down and then go live your life and remember it once in a while. So that is the point of a disciplined practice is you're resetting every day. And uh, like I said, the yoga practice has helped me a lot in um, connecting the mind and the body and just really learning to observe my actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what practices for someone that um, may or may not be practicing yoga right now, what's something daily that you do or that you would like to be doing on a regular basis? Maybe not your Buddhist practice specifically, but what's some suggestions that you'd have for people that could just start to bring mindfulness into their day to day? Taking a moment or even just having some routine that you do when you wake up in the morning, Uh something to start your day and even just setting the timer one minute, maybe you can make it five to just focus on breath, slowing down, you know. Just looking inward. Uh, I actually worked with Dan Harris, Mm. who has a book. um, Goodness, I can't remember what it is, but that's terrible. But Dan Harris, he is uh, an anchor reporter on ABC News, Mm. and he wrote a book about mindfulness. And he calls himself himself a skeptical Buddhist or something. I've heard of that. I think it's called this. Is it called the skeptical Buddhist? Maybe reluctant. The reluctant Buddhist. Mm. Gosh, well, Dan Harris, ladies and gentlemen, Dan Harris, yes. we'll have to put it in the footnotes when <laughs> yeah. I go look up his book, but he has a book talking about being mindful and he talked about how he had anxiety mm. and you know, you can take drugs and maybe it'll help partly, but he's on television doing live reports. Wow. So he had to deal with his anxiety and he started doing uh, a little meditation, focusing on breath and then. I guess that led him to do more research, but he's really big into it and he is spreading it, you know, to everyday people and it's a great idea. So that's where you start a little, a little mindfulness. Maybe when you first wake up in the morning, set your timer for one minute, five minute, and just see about focusing on breath, just slow down. And when you slow the mind down, you're able to see with greater clarity. Mm, Yeah. Wow. It's one of those, it's one of those things that as you were talking, um, you know, I, I, I need a pop-up <laughs> reminder, mm. <laughs> you know, while I'm walking around. I probably got one on right? an app for that. I'm sure they do, you know, <laughs> that, that just says, you know, take a breath now. 
think about it. Because so often I find what yoga brings me back to is uh, what feels good naturally. And that it's, um, it's what I want to do when I remember that I want to. And so often I'm just forgetting that when I'm feeling better, um, I love what you said, uh, I can be kind. And when I'm hurting or when, I'm, when I didn't sleep well because I was up watching my screen late at night or right. something, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm just not as good a person as I want to be. Um, yeah, it's those day-to-day practices. And so for you, what is a, like when you say to yourself, I'm doing enough yoga so that my back doesn't hurt. What does that mean? How many times a week? Is that a month? What does that look like? Oh, I don't know if there's like a magic number. It probably depends on what I'm doing on the yangs. Right, right, right. Because I teach other classes and I'm not very good at sitting still, but I need to do probably at least twice Mm -hmm. and I probably should do more. But I tell you, if I do zero, I start to feel it. I start to notice it. So I definitely do once a week, try to do twice. If I could do more, I'm there. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Well, I think that's a great point. Um, a regular yoga practice can look like once or twice a week. It really can. And that at once or twice a week, what I hear you saying is that you receive benefits. Right. And um, can you imagine brushing your teeth once or twice a week? Oh, my gosh. Right? <laughs> Girl, move that face. Um, Right, we wouldn't do that. All right, now I'm going to do yoga. <laughs> and I'm going to brush my teeth today. <laughs> well, more importantly, <laughs> uh, but that's it's just so funny, right? If it's I, I often say about yoga to people: if you knew of a technology that was free, you could do it at home, right? And it would improve literally every area of your life. Would you do it? Almost everybody says yes. But yet there's, a, there's something about why we don't prioritize ourselves. Um, can you speak a little bit about why you don't, when you don't, prioritize yourself and what you might say after this podcast to yourself to kind of shift that? Like, if you want to make any um, declarations for yourself, you're welcome to. There's no have to about it. <laughs> but if there's anything that you've been wanting to do more of, um, could be anything. It doesn't have to be yoga-related. But um, talk a little bit about why you don't have your best interest at heart sometimes and what you might declare for yourself today. This is something I'm still trying to find the answer to. Why do I do things that are not good for myself? (laughs) I know time is uh, the big excuse, right? We just don't have time to take care of ourselves. We're busy taking care of other people. I have three children. Mm -hmm. So that would be my excuse Mm -hmm. and, um, how to reset that. I do like it when, uh, one of the clubs I work, we have 30 days of yoga Mm -hmm. and the challenge is to do yoga every, doesn't matter how long. And of course, meditation is yoga. It's breath. So sitting there and meditating for five minutes counts. I tried to do I tried to do more than that when I took the challenge, but I think that's a great way to kickstart. And holy cow, I proved to myself again when I did that that my body felt so much better. Right. So maybe after I leave here I need to set a date (laughs) to do another 30-day challenge where you do it every day, no matter what. And you'll be amazed at the outcome. Right. It's like giving up sugar for a month or two as well. You really notice the difference. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, one of the things that I'm, I'm kind of unpacking for myself is this idea that um, being stressed is one of the ultimate forms of selfishness. Because mm-hmm. when we are letting ourselves get stressed, we are not bringing our best self to the people we care about. Hmm. And so it's very selfish to not do self-care because the outcome of not doing self-care is a less than ideal version of yourself for the people you love. I like that. I'm going to remember that. Yeah. It's, it's like, let's be a little less selfish and take care of ourselves. 
Last question for you. Um, what does kindness mean for you? And, um, and how, um, how do you have it show up uh, every day in your life? I think kindness is accepting people for who they are and seeing their highest potential. Mm. And like everyone, you battle your judgments and, you know, someone who doesn't turn left on the yellow light. <laughs> we're, we're back to driving. <laughs> That's where my worst self shows up. <laughs> but recognizing the Buddha nature in that person who you does can not turn, turn right on a red light. <laughs> <laughs> no cars are coming. <laughs> yeah, so I am showing more kindness to the drivers around me. And I probably... Am showing kindness or showing up for kindness and keeping up with my Buddhist practice and trying to elevate my life condition so that I can recognize everyone's Buddha nature and not be swayed by emotions and, you know, all the negativity going on, trying to just keep the boat gliding over the waves right. <laughs> instead Keep of boat planing right? right instead of uh, whipping around out of control yeah yeah wow it's uh it's been a real pleasure to get to know you better and um i'm thrilled that you're in the world sharing not only uh the stress relief of fitness but um this deep practice that you, this lifetime practice of buddhism and how that, you know, um, inevitably mixes with your teachings of yoga at our studio and um, that you're a mom. Thank you. Thanks for being a mom that's mm. up to great things. And thank you for being a mom that's uh, willing to look at herself and um, bring awareness into that relationship of being a parent. And uh, uh, when can people see you at Kindness Yoga? What's your current schedule? I'm at the Park Meadows studio, Saturday mornings, 9.30 a.m. Yin yoga. I always try to bring a positive message, something to wrap your mind around while you're relaxing into these long shapes. And then now Mondays, vinyasa, 10.30 a.m., hoping to give a good workout. Okay. <laughs> awesome. That's at Park Meadows as well? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Great. Davida, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, signing off here, Patrick Harrington and the Kindness Collective Podcast. <laughs>